I am so glad to be back. This is my first time in the new, in the new digs. So I feel, I feel fancy. I'm sitting up here and you're out here in this beautiful new auditorium. If, if you have just joined and become part of Bergen Park in the last few weeks since the building got completed, you notice I'm not Jim and you can know by two ways. One, I'm sitting down and I'm wearing jeans, but that's, I love my brother Jim and uh, I appreciate that he lets me do things a little differently. The apple does not fall far from the tree. Like father, like son. All right, so we already got the big idea of the passage we're going to talk about that is from Jesus' most famous sermon, called the Sermon on the Mount. And here's that passage. God blesses those who work for peace. For they will be called the children of God. If you were to feel brave one day and decide you needed a little experiment and a little excitement in your life, you could go down, down the hill to the campus of CU Boulder. And when you could in, kind of introduce yourself to 20, 25 college students, and you could ask them this question. When I say the word Christian, tell me a word that comes to mind. Now, my guess is your guess will be just fine, so let's see. What do you think an answer might be? What? Hypocrite? Intolerant? Sorry? Lover of God? Me? Compassion? Yeah, no telling what you'll, you know, 25 students. Sort of statistically, most likely, the top three answers would be something about hypocrisy, judgmentalism, and the word anti-something. Now, that's not for every student, that's not all of us, but recent studies would show that's a pretty likely answer that you would get. What's interesting is that maybe in all the years of people asking that question, which has been going back for a long time now, I don't know that I've ever seen peacemaker register on anybody's survey. And here's my confession. For sure, it would not have registered in mine if you were to describe me. Because you see, until this year, after being a follower of Jesus since ninth grade, I'm now 54, you do the math, and I graduated, you know, on time. (laughs) I don't know that I ever really thought about Peacemaking being something I was supposed to do. So I'm very new at this. I'm calling, that's why I think somewhere you saw today is Peacemaking 101. That may be too far down the road for us, actually. If there's something before 101, that's the class we're in today. Because that's where I am in my life. I'm just now trying to sort of try to step into this idea of what it means 
to be a peacemaker, to do peacemaking. I'm going to help us get in touch with some of the experiences that have birthed the last six months of my life. So I'm going to ask you this question. How many of you do not drink coffee? Just raise your hand. All right. Those of you who do not drink coffee, have you ever in your life been approached by someone who does drink coffee? (laughs) And have they tried to convince you to try their coffee? (laughs) Yes. All right. Separating the sheep from the goats. How many of you drink coffee? Okay. Most of us here. Those of us that drink coffee, how many of us drink our coffee Black. With, you keep your hands up just for a moment. And I'm, I just want, I'm just, I'm going to look. I, I don't know this to be true, but I just wonder in your heart, do you feel superior to the rest of us coffee drinkers? <laughs> because you see, you, you may not realize it, but some of you can come across that way. Um, <laughs> How many of you who drink coffee drink it with cream or sugar or both? All right. And I have to admit, I really like the people that are honest. They're raising, they're raising their coffee cups as they do this. Like, like, I'm pretty sure this is the only drug we would do that in a church. My drug right here. Now, those of you that drink your coffee with cream and sugar, have you ever had a person who drinks their coffee black say something like this to you? You don't really like coffee. You like cream and sugar. Because you see, if you liked coffee, you would drink it my way. And what we could do, we could even, we could, we could get all the black coffee drinkers over here and then they could argue about the best method for drinking coffee and the best bean and roasting and, and on and on it goes. Well, to further this conversation, I am now going to help you get in touch with a feeling. Because I'm going to share with you my coffee. This is how I drink coffee. Almost every morning, my coffee begins with boiling my water. And then I take a little pack of instant coffee like this. Because I like this best. (laughs) This is my favorite coffee. And then I like to put two of these in there. These are Splendas. These these aren't real. Okay? (laughs) But if you think these aren't real, you're going to love my next part because this is what I really like. I like artificial creamer. Like, and as a matter of fact, I was on a trip to Israel-Palestine, which I'll share with you in a minute, and they had milk at the, at the place we were staying. They didn't have this, so I went and bought some. So I could have my coffee. So that's what I do for coffee. I have instant coffee with two Splendas and the chemical white stuff. Now some of you are already in touch with this feeling. Like, it's, for some it's in your stomach, for some it's in your chest, some it's kind of in your shoulders. And what it is, it's this like a biological signal that there's something wrong with me. (laughs) 
And even though we're just talking about coffee, you can't bypass that. You already have the feeling that's just wrong. (laughs) All right, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. If you have ten fingers, and I'm not calling you out, but just take your hand. I want you to put it on your lap if you can. Some of you will please put your coffee down for just a moment. This will only be a second. It's coming back. All right. Put your, your left pinky represents number one. Your right pinky represents number ten. And I'm going to just say these words that represent issues, that represent things that are happening in our world today, just the word. And if you feel something, like you feel your stomach or your chest or the back of your neck, or if you remember being, quite honestly, sort of in an argument, or if you remember trying to convince somebody about one of these topics, and you remember it got a little, a little heated, push the finger that represents. One would be nothing. I could care less. Ten, I was very activated. All right? So here we go. Hands on our laps. Here are just some of the words. Islam. Liberal theology. Conservative theology. Immigration. Gay marriage. Abortion. Death penalty. Oakland Raiders. <laughs> All right. A lot of tens going off on the last one. That's great. Those are my people. What I want to share with you is that my first baby steps into peacemaking have begun with recognizing that there are issues, topics, beliefs, whatever you want to call them, that activate me. And when they activate me, I shut down from peacemaking. That's been my normal pattern. I'm not telling you that that activation is going to go away, but I'm going to tell you that there's a way around it. So my journey began around Thanksgiving of this past year. It was actually about two weeks before Thanksgiving. And I was here in Denver at the Faith and Justice Conference. Some of you, I'm are probably familiar with the Denver Faith and Justice Conference. It's a gathering each year of people that are interested in social justice topics. And this year, coincidentally, alongside of what was happening in Ferguson, Missouri, with the shooting death of Michael Brown, was the conversation was about race. And I am sitting in the audience. I could tell you my whole, my, you know, a lot of my story Growing up in Alabama in the 60s, coming from a very racist home, I felt like I was fairly familiar and and very open to conversations about race. 
But as I'm sitting in the audience and I'm listening to my brothers and sisters who I deeply respect, and I heard them talking about Ferguson, Missouri, they were all emotionally at 10. And I had been watching exactly the same news coverage that they had seen. And I was emotionally at about a four. And I could not understand my confession. I could not understand how, how can they get so worked up about this? And so about a few days later, I heard about some people. They are now my friends, but they weren't my friends at that time, part of the Black Lives Matters group. They were taking a Denver Freedom Ride to Ferguson, and there was a proverbial seat on the bus available. And I asked if I could go because I had to figure out why is the story I'm seeing feel so different than the story they are watching. On that trip was a friend of mine who um, is a documentary filmmaker. And here's a little snippet of the film that he made. Everybody, man, everybody lost their life, man. Few hours for real cause really make this happen, man. You know what it is, man. Stay consistent, stay prayed up. And y'all, everybody, y'all just be safe, man. If all the supporters out of town, y'all just make sure y'all keep, you know what I'm saying, just keep showing love, man. Y'all might can't touch me. contemplative in a strange way in a loud place like this a lot of stuff happens deep in your soul and I think a lot will happen as I get away from it and have to sort of live with the feelings there's a lot of new feelings things I'm not familiar with yeah, I'm a person of uh, privilege and you don't realize that until you're with people who have never had the kinds of privilege I've had so things that I've been totally unaware of what it's like to be afraid constantly. What it's like to have no hope for an economic opportunity. You know, what it's like to be searched and stopped simply because I was a color. To have that as a universal experience. I had never met a white person who was profiled, and so far, I haven't met somebody in, in this little experience I've had, a person of color who hasn't been profiled in some way. It's an amazing experience. The very first slide you saw was a picture of the Ferguson police station. When we arrived, when I arrived, I'm, I, that is sort of my point of view. And I am on the other, other side of the street with um, just this whole big line of protesters. And that was my immersion into this journey. Let me, let me go through, just, I'll just share a couple of these quick slides. This next slide is the memorial site for Michael Brown. It feels, feels like a holy site. It's still sort of revered. It still represents a lot to the community there. 
The next one is a uh, protest march. Another boy was uh, shot, young man was shot while we were there. And so there was a quickly a, a, a protest march that, um, that began that night. And then this is interesting. This was this last year. Anybody recognize what that is? That's the Martin Luther King, that's the Denver Martin Luther King Marade, they call it, which is March Parade. One of, if not the largest in the United States. I have lived in Denver 30, 40 years. And I really never knew anything about it till this year. So as my journey began, here's what I learned. I learned that I am a, I'm a white male. I, well, I didn't learn that. I, that part I already knew. But what I began to discover is that as a white male, I already have an advantage over at least 50% of the world automatically. And then when you take in my race and the country of origin, my numbers go way up. But I'm not only that, I am a white, male, married, heterosexual from a middle-class home. And what I discovered, and I'm going to share with you, is that's not right, that's not wrong, but that gives you a whole different set of eyes. And so while I was in Ferguson, very quickly, I met lots and lots of people. Wonderful, beautiful, incredibly passionate people. And I discovered that 100% of the people of color I met had a different story than I had. 100% of the people I met, and this is just my story, 100% of the people of color I met, my black friends, had been racially profiled there in Ferguson. 100% of them. 100% of them were scared that their children would have an encounter with a police officer and if they had male children especially, this feeling that their child could be killed. And in my life, I never once remember teaching my children to be afraid of police. As a matter of fact, I taught them the exact opposite. All my experiences with police have always been positive. Well, not positive, I mean, but they were all my fault. <laughs> like, the policeman didn't have his foot on, you know, his hand on my foot making me speed. It was my fault. I've never had an unpleasant encounter in that sense. That's just a snippet, just a little small taste. Let me tell you, this last six months, it's kept going. Because from there, several months later, I went to the Pine Ridge Native American Reservation. Six hours from here, there's an entire country that is, as it relates to the western hemisphere of this world... Second only to Haiti in mortality. 47 for men, 51 for women. I could tell you that there are 500 legal treaty documents made with the Native American people of the United States, indigenous First Nation people, and there are zero in force today. I can tell you at least for the Lakota people, that they would call white people washichu, which means takes the best part of the meat. That's what I learned when I was there. And from there, I went to Israel, Palestine. And I learned that my whole life, I have heard of Israel. 
but I actually didn't know anything about Palestine. And I didn't know that there is a people group who are being oppressed. In my world, I also live in a faith community that is very eclectic in which I am somewhat of a minority as a somewhat conservative evangelical. And my uh, gay brothers and sisters have a story that's different than my story. My co-pastor has a theological perspective that is different often than my theological perspective. And so my world just feels like all I do now is live in this world of wanting to be a peacemaker. I'm going to share just a couple more verses with you real quickly, and then we're going to have this conversation about my baby steps. Here's, here's one from the book of Romans, a couple from the book of Romans. Chapter 12, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Chapter 14, accept other believers, other Christians who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. In James, chapter 1, where he says this, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, and slow to get, in my words, activated. All right, here's my, here's my sermon. Peacemaking 101. Next week will be Peacemaking 101.5. Peacemaking always begins with listening. What is listening? Well, let me start with telling you what listening is not. Remember, we're talking about that experience where we feel activated. I hope you can have some memory of maybe none of the topics I've hit today have activated you in any way. But I'm hoping you can remember a time when you felt that anger, where you felt that chest compressed, where it felt like the story you were hearing was so wrong. And here's how you'll know that you're about to not listen. When the first words out of your mouth are this, yeah, but what about blank? When those words come out of your mouth, I'm not saying they will never appear, but I'm saying for many of us, for me, it's like the first words out of my mouth. As a matter of fact, while somebody is speaking and I'm starting to feel a little activated, I'll be honest with you, I'm not really hearing. All I'm doing is getting my yeah, but what abouts all in order for them. Let's pretend that you are a fly on the wall in my home when my wife, April, and I are about to get into it. I say you'd have to be a fly on the wall because if I could see you there, my behavior would look very different. <laughs> if you're there, I'm a great Christian, publicly. 
when we're all alone, I don't argue so nice all the time. So you're a fly on the wall, and your job, you are, as a matter of fact, let's make it even worse. You are like, you're like my marriage intern. You're learning about marriage from me. I'm going to teach you. And my wife and I get into this argument, and you're taking notes. How to argue with April. Note number one. Apparently, the key is more volume. Because you see, this is how often the argument goes. April and I are in a disagreement. She gives me her (laughs) facts. As she does, my yeah, my yeah, but what abouts are just, I'm just, I'm about to blow an O-ring is the way it feels. Like, how could somebody come to this conclusion? And usually I've already told her what is the proper way to see this. I've already shared that in a calm voice. I don't start out irritated. I'm not that bad a Christian. I've already told her in a very calm voice the proper way to view this issue. And she has not, in my mind, heard me. So apparently, I'm thinking she's hard of hearing. (laughs) Because I say the exact same thing, but I just say it louder. Let's say I get to level three now of this cycle in volume. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever gone to level three, third round, saying exactly the same thing, but now at a different volume? In your life, your entire life, has anybody ever in that moment gone, wait, oh my gosh, I get it now. Thank you so much. I totally see what you mean. What a gift. And I'll add a little something else. Doubling down on Bible verses also is not going to be all that helpful in this moment. (laughs) So if one Bible verse didn't help, 20 isn't going to help. When you're in this moment. I, um, I sort of have this idea now. That when I... Feel something. And my response, my initial behavioral response is to want to get louder and double down on Bible verses. I'm trying to pay attention, and I believe now that is the Holy Spirit telling me, Carl, listen and be curious. Listen, your eyes are different than their eyes. What you see is different than what they see. At least listen to what they see. Now this one, those of you who are raised in the world that I've been raised in and I often live in, a little more conservative, more evangelical, I'm warning you now, you're not going to like this one. Prepare to clinch. Listening does not need facts. Listening 
is not primarily about facts. Now, I'm not saying that this word facts will never enter into this conversation. But I'm saying as a first step to listening, facts really don't matter. Let's go back many years now to when my daughter turned 16. And she had had her license, say, six months. And, and I say to her as she leaves the house on that Friday night, Hey, baby, I want you to be home at 1030. Okay? 1045 rolls around. And my mind right, begins to rehearse all of the terrible stories of things that can happen to 16-year-old girls who have only been driving for six months. And my, my emotion is I am scared and I'm afraid and I'm thinking how much I love my daughter. And at 11 o'clock when she comes in, the first experience with me is not a dad who loves her deeply. First words out of my mouth will be, I said 10.30. And she says to me, no, Dad, you said around 10.30. (laughs) Now, for two hours, we will discuss the semantics of did I or did I not say 10.30 and what does around mean? And it's very likely that never once will she hear me say, what's really going on is how much I love you and how scared I was and how I had this need to want to protect you. Will this conversation about curfews ever arise? Sure. But is it really what we're talking about in that moment? Listening may actually require that you move closer. Think about it in a sort of a, I don't know, a a real-world way. Suppose the microphone broke this morning, and suppose I was a very soft-spoken person. And I was hoarse, and my, my voice wouldn't carry very well. What you would do if you wanted to hear me is, is you might physically have to get up from your seat, those of you in the back, and you might have to scooch closer. If you're with a person who's maybe older and, and they're hard of hearing, and you notice that you lean forward, But most often what happens when I'm hearing a story that is hard for me to hear, what's hard for me to understand, I back away. I tend to step away from a story that is hard to hear. Whether it's Ferguson or Israel or Palestine or Native Americans or whatever it may be. When I don't like the story they're telling. I physically back away 
and I go find people that like my story, and then we talk about their story. We talk about what they need to do. We get together and talk about our facts, check our facts, yeah, our facts are all right, yeah, I like your facts, good facts, I agree, I agree. And what about them? Without ever stepping towards the story that is hard. I love how Eugene Peterson translates the beginning of the Gospel of John when he says this. He says that Jesus moved into our neighborhood. That's how he talks about the incarnation. That our faith, those of us that are followers of Jesus, our faith is rooted in the idea of moving into a hard story. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel. You could translate that idea as you go get closer to stories that are hard to hear, that are different than your story. I would even make an argument another day that part of, quote, preaching the gospel is rooted in listening. Take a deep breath. Has anything, anything that I have said today in any way been hard for you to hear? Have you gotten bugged? Did you get triggered? Did I say something and then I kept, you know, talking, but you were stuck on the thing I said and your brain was working the conversation in your own mind? Often, what I've noticed and learned, that's why this is Peacemaking 101, is that's exactly what I do. And when I do that, I'm no longer listening. A couple of months ago, I invited some of my pastoral friends that are male to sit in a room. There was about 35. We did it twice. And I asked five of my female friends who have felt called to ministry to tell the story to a group of room of men what it's been like for them to navigate feeling called to ministry in a world that is dominated by men. And here was the rule. I told the men, you can't interrupt. You really can't ask questions. All you can do is listen. Here's what I... I'm curious about. I'm curious that when I biologically feel something happen, I'm curious that actually I'm afraid. I believe the reason I don't listen is somehow something gets short-circuited because I'm afraid. told you this would be baby step 101. 
So I'd like for you to bow your heads just for a second. I'd like for you to be quiet and just for a moment. Has there been anything as we've been talking today that was hard for you to hear? And then ask yourself, am I afraid of something? And then let me ask you this. How would you like to begin to make peace? For me, it's listening. You may have a better option for you. Father, I am confident that you have spoken to every person in some way here. And sometimes you're hard to listen to. Sometimes your story is different than my story, Father. And I shut you down and I close off my ears. But I want a softer heart. I want to hear better. Oh God, I pray for my friends here at Bergen Park as they have this marvelous sort of new beginning. That here on the hill, they would be known as your children who make peace. Amen.